And we're back. Uh, we are joined today by a special guest. Do you mind if I use your full name? Or would you rather I stick to the first name? Only use one of my middle names. We are joined today <laughs> by Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I meant... I, <laughs> you meant what? Oh, I, that was that was just a joke. I was just like telling you to omit my second middle name. That was what I meant. Not just not just call me my oh, okay. middle name. <laughs> um, we <laughs> we are Tom. joined today by Greg Anderson, uh, friend of the pod. Greg, my understanding is that you were recently diagnosed with the STD you can only get from having sex with ugly people. Is that true? One hundred percent. I mean, my only recent sexual partner has yeah, been myself, my so that explains a lot, really. Yeah. <laughs> kind of First public omission. <laughs> Admission. Now, Greg, what uh, what topic have you brought with us? Brought with you today? Jonestown. Jonestown. I have drunk the Kool Aid. Um, so Jonestown, uh, you may have heard of it. Uh, the end of the story is in Jonestown, and that's it, it is a settlement in Guyana Esquiba, a disputed territory in Guyana that is claimed by Venezuela but controlled by Guyana. Uh, where the story actually starts, though, is with a fellow named Jim Jones, namesake for Jonestown, of course, and uh, he is from the great state of Indiana. I can understand the move. Pretty similar places. Yeah. Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, Jim Jones was born in Crete, Indiana, to James Thurman Jones and Lynetta Putnam Jones on May the 13th, 1931. Not a, not a hot time to be born, especially in the Midwest. Uh, as obviously you can guess, the Great Depression had a big effect on his family and it caused him to move around several times, but all within the state of Indiana. Uh, as a child, he was not uh, thought very fondly of by his peers. Uh, generally considered a pretty weird kid by people his age. He had a lot of trouble making friends. Uh, neighbors and classmates have actually stated that he was obsessed with death and dying from a young age and would sometimes hold funerals for small animals on his parents' property. Uh, Did allegedly, he kill the small animals? Uh, yeah, well, allegedly he stabbed a cat to death. Yeah, that, I've heard wow. that's generally a pretty good indicator pretty of where good things are going to go down the road. Yeah, of, a, of a psychopath. Um, Particularly cats. Yeah, and even at a young age, he was a pretty avid reader, and uh, that's all good if you're reading Harry Potter and stuff like that, but he was reading things like Karl Marx, Chairman Mao, Gandhi, Hitler, and Stalin uh, were some of his favorite authors as a child. Well, it's a rough mix for Gandhi just to get dropped. I was going to yeah. say Gandhi's, one of five, Gandhi's a strange one in that one and mix. a half of five. Yeah, one of those things just doesn't seem. <laughs> one and a half. Me. Who's the half, Paul? Well, Karl Marx was. Karl Marx isn't the... like explicitly bad, or bad yeah. really. It was more just a, a theory. Even, but... It was Lenin that kind of took it to an extreme. The Stalin yeah. too, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of those other people actually enacted uh, some pretty pretty bad things. Yeah. Um, yeah, civil disobedience, that shit was crazy. <laughs> Gotta hate it. <laughs> yeah, so um, not, not a ton is on record about his early life because he didn't really do much besides be weird as hell. But he did move to Richmond, Indiana with his mom after his parents divorced. And in 1948, he graduated from Richmond High School. Uh, as you do in the time, uh, just a year after graduating, he married a nurse by the name of Marceline Baldwin. 
And the two of them moved to uh, Dan. You know a thing or two about Indiana, right? Uh, that's probably it. Yes, maybe two things. Okay. Is Indiana University Bloomington in a city called Bloomington, Indiana? Yes. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Thomas. Thanks um, for the bailout, Tom. <laughs> so Jones uh, begins attending the Indiana University at Bloomington for two years, studying secondary education before he eventually moves to Indianapolis and finishes his degree over the course of 10 years at Butler University. Uh, Dan, you, I believe, secondary education major, would you like to voice your opinion on this? Is this, uh, is there any correlation between secondary education majors and uh, mass ritual suicide? Almost certainly, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, this is that relationship. This is the correlation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, beginning in 1951, while he was still attending uh, university, Jones started to become pretty active in the Communist Party of the United States. Uh, Jones got pretty irritated with the harassment he and others in the Communist Party would receive because this was right uh, right in the heat of McCarthyism. Oh Sorry, uh, Dan is off screen dying of a coughing fit. <laughs> that sore throat again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, his mother, in fact, was even accosted by FBI agents in front of her coworkers. They came into her place of work and uh, kind of screamed at her for being a communist in front of all her coworkers uh, for attending one of these meetings with Jim Jones. And so after that, uh, Jones kind of convinced himself that the best way he could kind of spread the message of Marxism without uh, drawing a lot of attention to himself was to infiltrate the church and use the church as an organ to kind of spread the doctrine. He did not have much trouble getting into the business of churching, uh, in 1952, surprisingly, he, yeah, uh, it's I guess not not very a uh, high barrier of entry. Yeah, I'm, well, it is surprising for like 1952. I don't know, I, like my what? Hello? <laughs> Did you make a weird noise? What the fuck was that? Me? Yeah, it sounded like you're like no surprise. <laughs> um, Sorry. No, I, I said, well, it is surprising. Uh, okay. Something. Those whole, like, indie religious culty type things, I guess just, I don't know, they seem more of a 60s and 70s thing. Yeah, a lot of um, a lot of new ideas going around then. One interesting tidbit I read about this is that, like, the pastor that he, like, talked to to get into the church, like, to try and get himself embedded into the church was somebody he did not meet through his communist connections. Really? Yeah. So he was just like okay with it or didn't know or do you know? He was like the guy knew it. Knew it. Didn't care? D apparently didn't have a problem with it. Everybody's got a seat at this table says the Methodists. <laughs> uh, so it doesn't matter what your method is. Was, uh, you're welcome here. <laughs> he, was, he became a student pastor at wow. Somerset Southside Methodist Church in Indianapolis how he started yeah and uh but he actually left that church not too long after because uh he oh something i should mention jim jones uh was very uh pro civil rights he was kind of impassioned from a young age listening to a speech by eleanor roosevelt about the mistreatment of african americans in america and he kind of famously hated his dad. He got a pretty bad reputation at a young age from his dad because his dad 
was a pretty active member of the KKK in Indiana. So uh, Jim Jones is all for integrating black people into his congregation, but of course the people at Summerside, South, Somerset Southside Methodist Church in the year of 1952 are not too keen on that idea, and so he leaves the church. Not too long after he saw a kind of like... Uh, I guess a, a faith healing ceremony is what you'd call them, but uh, do you guys know what I mean? Like that kind of like casting sickness out of old people, or you know, like sick people, like a very speaking in tongues type pastor. Yes. Casting out, kind of like the there will be blood. Throwing uh, holy water at them, kind yeah, of. Yeah, that kind of thing. So um, he saw one of those going down and saw how into the whole thing all of the bystanders were. And uh, thinks he might be able to cash in on that. <laughs> well, I can do that. Yeah. So he organizes a massive Christian convention to be held at the Cadle Tabernacle in Indianapolis. Basically, uh, just a real large church in Indianapolis that has since been demolished. And he was going to share a pulpit with a fellow by the name of William Branham, who uh, contemporaneously was one of the foremost televangelists uh had the same reputation as Oral Roberts, who you may have heard of, the uh, Oral Roberts University guy. Basically, uh, Joel Osteen, before Joel, way before Joel Osteen. Way. Yeah, kind of start, started the whole thing that Joel Osteen and all those other televangelists do. And the kind of fame he got from sharing the pulpit with Branham allowed him to open his own congregation, which... Shortened to the People's Temple, but at the time was called the People's Temple Christian Church Full Gospel. Wait, what? Do you want to read that again? Yes, please. It was the People's Temple Christian Church Full Gospel. Interestingly, there was a name before that even. Oh, really? Which is way, way cooler sounding, and I don't know why he didn't stick with it. He doesn't seem like a very together with it person. (laughs) But uh, yeah, what was the name? Wings of Deliverance. Oh. <laughs> yeah. oh. That sounds like a sports movie. I think it may maybe Or a sports maybe, bar. Maybe <laughs> or he a sports just, bar, yeah. Oh, maybe yes. he just thought it sounded too ominous. It might have been too ominous, yeah. Jones continued to expand the church all while masking that his true intentions were to spread his political views and values. Uh, he stressed egalitarian policies to his congregation, going so far as to ask them to wear casual clothes to services so as not to make the poor people feel shame. And, of course, provide shelter to those who need it. That was just the beginning. There is kind of a slow drip of these policies kind of invading, mm. piece by piece, ending in disaster, as I'm sure you know. I was going to you know. say, the first one is not too bad. It's all really good stuff right up yeah. until it's really bad. <laughs> So it's it's like a very very, very kind of quick decline. Going yeah. on. We're in for quite the ride. And I mean, the whole time though, as you'll as you'll see, there's there's definitely uh, it, it, when you if they were to look back on it with with clear hindsight, the writing's on the writing was on the wall where this was headed. He was obviously pretty pretty deranged. I mean, you want a good example of some of this derangedness? Oh yeah. If I backtrack just a tiny bit. Um, those faith faith healing events he did. Yeah, some of these faith healings involved uh, chicken livers and other animal tissue, mm-hmm. <laughs> where he, which yeah. he claimed is like cancerous bits of bodies that came out of members of yeah. the church that were healed. That'll out. do it. Jeez, that's like Bayou magic. 
You mean he would just like pull a chicken liver out of his sleeve mid ceremony and be like, ah, yeah. the sin. I mean, I don't know exactly how his delivery was, but it worked enough to get people to yeah. follow him. So he, he must have been pretty convincing. Able to successfully use chicken livers and not look like a moron. So, <laughs> something right. Wouldn't you think chicken livers would be a little bit too small? Yeah, definitely. Would the average person in nineteen late 1950s know what size a human liver is? A human liver? They'd probably be more in tune to what a chicken liver size yeah. would be than the average person now. Damn it. You're probably That's right. That's true, but I think you're right. Well, you know, to be fair, though, Dan, I don't think I know how big a human liver is, you know? I can guess, but I don't know. Yeah, it's probably going to be wrong. Yeah. Like my guess, I mean. Probably a little bigger than your fist. Oh, uh, I got is, an it, is it that alert. I thought it was bigger. Well, it might be bigger. Two fists. How big are your kidneys? How big are the kidneys? About the size of a bean? <laughs> Yours might. <laughs> yeah, my tiny little <laughs> constant Cane pissing peas. kidneys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 25 times a day. Yeah. If if my memory serves me correct. <laughs> you know, if if Ouch. we're we're only this far into the into the notes and I'm already almost done with the second beer, we're we're probably gonna have to make a bathroom break at some point in this yeah. recording. Yep. Idea. Ooh, brief well, intermission. Oh, you, you mean can that put would some be music in there and that would be oh, I no, thought no, you were no. asking oh, yeah, for that, a brief intermission. That sounded like a request. No, no, no. Oh, that brief intermission? Be. In 1960, the church ended up opening a soup kitchen and began providing basic services such as rent assistance, uh, food banks for those who needed it, clothing, and coal to heat houses in the winter for its members. Despicable. I wish somebody give me free coal. Yeah, that's some deeply <laughs> insidious stuff he was up to, Dan. Yep. Uh, and actually, uh, it, it was a big hit with the community. As a result of... Uh, directly that, Jones was appointed to the Indianapolis Human Rights Commission, which certainly helped his church's popularity. But with the... That's just how you gotta do it, man. Uh, expand on that. I mean, like, if you're trying to gain a following, you just gotta start giving people stuff. Like, yeah. you look, look at the Chicago political machine, you look at, like, any local political leader, I mean, it's not... I bet, you know it's what... Not, I bet a not insignificant number of people will vote for Trump for re-election because of the $1,200 that he attached his name to. Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah. it's that's real. Like, yeah. you, you do that or you give him a turkey on Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. Like, people care about that stuff. I mean, I can't even count the number of times I've heard people refer to Trump bucks. Trump bucks, baby. Trump bucks. <laughs> oh, my God. Not like I'm equating it, but, like, you hear the term, you hear, like, of the the Black Panthers and what comes to mind. Um, uh, violence yeah guns uh, right typically but like when they were first starting out like right they were like following cops around with guns and then they were like we need to kind of take a step back and they started all these programs like free breakfast for kids like nice. rental assistance yeah, they're doing do. the same stuff I'm not saying they became a cult but like that's how you do it man that's how you get the neighborhood on your side yeah, totally for sure as the congregation size kind of increased Jones also started mixing in more and more of his ideology into the sermons uh, he he adopted a fiery method of delivering his sermons that he picked up from Father Divine was his name I think and he was uh, an African American fellow who was a big like faith healer and kind of uh, I, I keep w wanting to say like a Gil Scott Heron type but uh, that's totally baseless and I've never heard Father Divine talk so I don't actually know how true that is but I'm kind of picturing it that way uh, and so 
he started saying that the members should abstain from sex and only adopt children. And Greg, if you could look something up for me. Sure. I started, when I was reading this, it started listing all the children he had adopted. If you could maybe find out like a concrete number of I, how many children he adopted. On it. Thank you. I, yeah. Uh, so, and can we, can we make a guess here? Yeah, can we go place ahead. Bets? Throw out some guesses. I'm going to say, I'm going to guess nine. I'm glad you guessed first. I have no basis. I was going to go way higher than that. Okay. 38. Oh, yeah. No. I'm going to say, are we doing prices right rules? We're doing always prices right rules. I'm going to go with six. Okay. Prices right rules are essentially the rule of law at this point. One dollar, Bob. Oh, fuck. You jerk. One baby. You yeah. jerk. Wait, there's sorry. no, there's no, I'm telling you, there's no chance he's winning. If it's Hold one. on. The, the person that you're t- referring to, the adopting, like your Jim Jones specifically, or, or was this the I think father? I, I thought it was Jim Jones and his wife, yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm looking it up. Thank you. But he was encouraging his, like... He was saying, don't have sex, just adopt kids. There's way too many kids that are orphaned. So if you were a member of his, like, early, early commune, you were also starting to adopt kids. Yeah. So, like, him and his wife adopted several, but then you also have, like... Yes. What, like, dozens of couples at this point? I don't know. What are the numbers looking like? Oh, at this point, I actually don't know. I think it was in the, like, probably hundreds of people the size of this congregation. They're still, you know, this is like, they're still in Indiana at this point. Mm. I did even see, I didn't I didn't include it because, honestly, there was so much that I had to skip over yeah. a lot. I had to really pick and choose. Part of what ended up getting the attention of the government to Jonestown that ended in disaster was uh, some parents being like, this guy stole our kid. They just like took their kid and um, they were trying to get the kid back. I don't know if it actually happened. Jesus. <clears throat> the way that these like cult leaders foul up is oftentimes like, come on, man. All you had to do was just not be creepy yeah. or not oh, be violent oh, or. Dang. You are going to get that in spades at the end of this. You will, <laughs> you will not believe. <laughs> the, I'm stoked. Just colossal fuck up Jim Jones makes oh um, man so, so as far as the children goes Wikipedia's number says nine total oh but, um, like it's really convoluted yeah because like <laughs> by no means are this these with one person oh wait what do you mean like there's some uh, it's kind of it's messy that's okay. all that's all safer now. Oh, hey I'm fine with that this whole thing is messy yeah <laughs> this whole thing I know I lost of mess reeks yeah, Dan, you were pretty pretty far off. Had to do it. It's hard not to say one dollar, Bob, when when Price is Right is brought up. Yeah, <clears throat> somebody's got. I was hoping in. Paul would. Yeah. I was thinking about it. So like, like even just like one of the children, like like here's some sense. Like Jones claimed he was the biological father of John Victor Stone, although the birth certificate <laughs> listed John Timothy Stone. Like there's a there's court <laughs> stuff going. It's okay. Yeah. So yeah, he was really yeah. Uh, acting a fool which i mean i'm getting ahead of, i'm getting ahead of us a little bit here but later on like is i think he got a call oh did okay <laughs> i saw i saw him do like a little lift of the ear oh maybe somebody's at his phone door or something yeah or maybe some base wide alarm i don't know <laughs> although he doesn't live on base right it very well could just be like an important work call no yeah. he does not live on base anymore i don't believe that does not look like good for him yeah, those really don't look Downtown like Also, he's got like children's the... curtains, so it's probably not a barracks. It's yeah. literally like fire trucks, his curtains. <laughs> it used to be a kid's room, I think. 
Oh, he's back. <clears throat> we were just uh, trying to piece together what you were doing there, and if you were, what's going on with your fire we truck? It could have been DEFCON two. Oh no! <laughs> this not the jets that dire. Been scrambled. Yeah. It started raining, and I had windows open. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> so same thing, Smart right? Play. Yeah. Well, at least if it ever happens while we're recording a podcast episode, we'll be, we'll the, be the second, first, third, yeah, second and fourth third person. Minute. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll say this. I won't go, hey, just one minute, because I'm not coming back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. I- I'm be leaving. right back. <laughs> God, our and then we get podcast the notification records on our the... phone that missiles are inbound. Close second. I got an amber alert. Really? Oh, wow. That's kind oh, of wow. weird timing. I bet you get Amber Alerts every 30 minutes in Philadelphia, though. <laughs> oh, no, actually, it's the first one I've gotten. Damn, they don't sucks. they don't issue Amber Alerts in a city like Philly. They'd just be like... Yeah, exactly. It's got to be a rich white girl. That's when the Amber Alerts go out. <laughs> sorry. They only put them out when the girl's name yeah, Amber. That's what I changed my <laughs> settings to. to. Rich yeah, white he set my Amber Alert settings to affluent white woman. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so... Uh, let's 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 reel it in. Okay. Um, yeah, so we're let's back leave to, all of that out. We were talking about Jim Jones' kids. <laughs> we were talking about Jim Jones' kids. Do you have an update? Uh, well, how uh, this might be getting way ahead of us here. Okay, um, getting into some stuff, but it, when we talking about his kids, there's an. I mean, what goes hand in hand with that? Sexuality. Yeah. Uh, Jim Jones is an interesting character when it comes to that. So, I mean, as we know, he got married to that nurse in 1949. Yeah. But uh, he had several affairs. Cool. Not all with women. Ooh. Saucy. uh, Even though, uh, well, we all know that eventually the colonies started. um, And, uh, like, just in general, um, I don't know if it was... Yeah, so he, among temple members, he banned sex outside marriage. Um, I mean, that's a pretty typical church thing to do. Yeah. But (laughs) this quote from Wikipedia says that... He voraciously engaged in sexual relations with both male and female temple members. <laughs> Just an wow. unsatiable um, need for sex. Uh, Jones, however, claimed that he detested engaging in homosexual activity and only did so for the male temple adherents' own good, purportedly to connect with them or connect them symbolically with him. Uh, so, interestingly, even though he did have sex with many men, he uh, what is the, what is this quote? Uh, yeah, he was on record later as telling his followers that he was the only true heterosexual. <laughs> oh man! Oh, that's good. Yeah. What a what a quote. The only what true. A low blow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, while, while we're on the topic, he also uh, was arrested and charged with lewd conduct in the state of California um, because he what got year? caught. 1973. He got caught masturbating in a movie theater restroom near MacArthur Park in Los Angeles. Restroom. Yes, he got caught by an undercover LAPD vice officer. How the hell do you get caught masturbating in the bag? Is he not in the stall? Was he just been just getting popping real one noi- out at the urinal? <laughs> oh getting real, real noisy with it. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that sounds like the only. I mean, shake more than three times playing with it. Yeah, them, them's the rules. Okay, we covered the no sex dop children, and this is also around the time. We're in we're in the early '60s that he first starts bringing in kind of an us versus them mentality to his uh, to his sermons, and um, he focused on a particular Karl Marx quote 
that is from each according to his ability to each according to his need in describing how the kind of social programs of the church uh, functioned. But he, to disguise the Karl Marx aspect, he likened it to the Apostles 434 distribution was made to each as any had need in an attempt to kind of paint Jesus as a communist figure. And uh, also, this is when he begins telling members of his church that they are not to spend their holidays with the family and instead to uh, spend them at the church in kind of an attempt to wean them off of contact from people outside the church. So, um, speculative question might not be the right term for that, but do you think at this point this guy knows exactly where, not, not the end end, but do you think he has like the long-term goal yes. of establishing this colony in mind yes i think it's pretty clear okay. that his his main goal here um is to influence people and manipulate them like that's that's For yeah sure. you I mean, know what I mean, from the from the chicken livers on that's that's pretty much that based I mean, it off the like well when you're just reading growing up absolutely it is you know Karl marx and like all these influential people he wants to make almost a culture of it Mm. Clearly, idolize them. Um, I, I'm actually going to. I'll jump ahead to something that I have way down the road, but it's not like uh, you know. There's no not really spoilers in this. So um, <laughs> huge. This is in 1977. So you know, over a decade after where we're actually at right now, uh, New York Times interviewed Jim Jones' wife, and. Um, <clears throat> She said that Jones was taking inspiration from Mao Zedong and was trying to achieve social change by mobilizing people through religion. Uh, she admitted that, quote, Jim used religion to try to get some people out of the opiate of religion and had slammed the Bible on the table once yelling, I've got to destroy this paper idol. So, like, he was actually a deeply atheistic man and was using religion because he thought it would be a good way to get into the hearts and minds of people and kind of spread the wow. communism, the good word. So uh, Jones also gets pretty fascinated with what's going on in Cuba and uh, travels to Cuba to try to whip up some support there. Uh, doesn't doesn't really stick. They're kind of dealing with their own stuff, as I'm sure you can guess. Uh, peak of a revolution, etc. A lot going on there. But during his trip to Cuba... He has a vision, uh, and he sees that Chicago and Indianapolis are going to be destroyed in a nuclear attack. And he had read previously in an article in Esquire magazine that the city uh, Belo Horizonte in Brazil was the safest city in the world to be in during a nuclear war due to its elevation and atmospheric conditions. Now, I don't know if that's probably some 60s pseudoscience. I don't think... I mean, I'm sure there's some effect, but I don't know if there's really a safe place to be. Interesting note, by the way. Didn't not know to, he was a meteorologist. Yeah. You know. I, hate, I hate being this guy. I'm not going to do this as a correction, but an interesting note. Um, being as that is Portuguese, that is Belo Horizonte. Horizonte. Yeah. Mm. No, that's the kind of correction we need, Greg. Um, Greg from the research desk. Yeah. I do happen to know some Portuguese. Greg took a Portuguese-Brazilian history class. I did. Nice. So uh, this, the, he becomes fascinated with uh, Belo Horizonte. Did I say that right? Zanchi. Zanchi. Uh, Jones travels there 
to also try to stir up falling there. doesn't stick, so he ends up hanging out in Rio de Janeiro for about a year trying to find supporters and only returns once uh, he asks the church to borrow money and they say, we have no money anymore. Uh, you left. He, you, know, <laughs> you were, you were the, the past, you were the guy that run the, ran this church and you've been gone for a year. Yeah, and we're that is money. such a confusing dilemma. What? Uh, so in 1963, he returns to Indiana, and uh, upon his return, is quite a bit more transparent about the communist ideals that are pinning up the church. He begins talking about this idea he ha- this idea he has called uh, he's 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 calling it apostolic socialism, which is basically just the idea that the only way to have a successful and not uh, God, how do I even say this? You know how uh, like communist governments still face the problem of human greed. So a lot of them still had a lot of like injustice because people would you know take advantage of the power they had. He kind of thought that the only way it could work was if there was like people thought there was a religious part to it. So there was kind of like much higher stakes in being a good person, if that makes sense. Mm. And Apostolic. with that. Socialism. Socialism. And with that begins some full-on criticism of traditional Christianity. And he he calls it a flyaway religion uh, created by white men to enslave women and people of color. That's what he thought of Christianity. Uh, Dan, you're Catholic. How do you feel about that? (laughs) Yeah, I mean... Proofs in the No disagreement? (laughs) (laughs) Wow, Dan. No, I don't think that was the explicit intention, but that was the result. <laughs> you don't think that's what Christ was going for, pla- really? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think <laughs> Not really they message. were reading between the lines a little bit, you <laughs> yeah. know, under the influence. They're going to love this one. Yeah. That was certainly the result in a lot of parts of the world for a lot of years, so, including here. <laughs> Two years after, 1965 now, um, and as I'm sure you can guess just from how these things are progressing, uh, Jones is getting quite a bit more uh, loony. So 1965 is when he comes out to his congregation and says to them that a great deal of the country will be destroyed in a nuclear attack on July 15th, 1967. And he urges them to follow him to Redwood Valley, California, as he believes that is the only place they will be safe. About 140 members, half of whom were black, follow him to a new settlement near... Craig, what are we thinking here? Ukiah, California? That that sounds right to me, yeah. Okay. What is that? That's Native American, probably? I haven't the foggiest. Okay. You were uh, pretty hot on hot on the button with that uh, Brazilian town, so I figured maybe we'd get some more juice out of you. Well, I mean, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know anything about uh, Native American languages, so I, mm-hmm. I don't feel yeah, uh, didn't, qualified didn't, to speak. Didn't take that yeah. class, huh? Yeah. Pretty pretty weird that you would just dismiss native populations like that, Greg. It is, but whatever. It is Ukiah. I looked it up. Okay. Cool. For, uh, formerly Ukiah City. It's in Mendocino County. Mendocino County. Yeah. Part of the Emerald Triangle. Did you wait? Did you say N word Triangle? No, 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 no. Emerald. Very large marijuana growing area. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. It's like I uh my. Ooh. My uncle works for the Forest Service, and uh, 
like one of the one of the big problems they used to have up there and still probably do i imagine is uh, a lot of illegal growing operations on public land um and like you know the the big problems aren't necessarily with the the uh marijuana growing itself it's usually the uh like tapping off of power lines and uh use of like fertilizers and things like that running off you know so uh, i know that he one of the things he would do is like they go out in helicopters and try and spot those things and i know he was in mendocino county quite a bit cool but since it is northern california and kind of a remote town expansion in the area has not really taken off as he had hoped and so jones thinks if they really want to gain traction in california they're going to need to start hitting some urban areas good call so starting in 1970, he expands his operation to both San Francisco and Los Angeles, and just two short years later, 1972, they had permanent locations in both cities uh, with high access and traffic by the black community. It was uh, pretty, the one in Los Angeles was pretty much right next to Compton. And the temple began busing people all across California. They had a fleet of about 10 to 15 Greyhound-style charter buses. And they would just send people up and down the state, uh, all across the state, for recruitment and donations. And it actually proved enormously successful. It got to the point where they started making quarterly trips to Washington, D.C. And uh, they wouldn't send the buses out if they weren't pretty confident they could net at least $100,000 in donations from doing it. And Jones pretty much planned to make a million dollars a year doing this, and did. Uh, and this and, is in, like, 1972, right? Yes. It's like... I'll adjust that That's for huge. Thank you. Um, and in fact, when they went to Washington, D.C., I don't remember the name of the congressman, but one congressman awarded them the uh, kind of fake honor of being the greatest tourist group in the world because they spent an entire day cleaning up trash on the National Mall. Um, kind of a low bar then for being greatest tourists in the world because trash pickup, I mean, come on, make some prisoners do that, right? <laughs> was it Mitch McConnell? I don't know. How long has McConnell been in Congress? 120 years. <laughs> a long time. <laughs> Kept alive by blood sacrifice. Adjusted for inflation, that's $6.3 million. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's a oh, lot of money. my God. Did they have their holdings in Indiana still, or did they pick up and the, move? Like the, I missed that. Based on the no money thing, I would imagine probably probably no holdings there yeah um i know they they eventually yeah so they permanently moved to ukiah and then eventually they moved permanently to los angeles and then to san francisco and then finally jonestown but uh in terms of actual holdings i know that by the time they were at jonestown all of their money was being held in the bahamas in bank accounts in the bahamas smart move yeah especially back then now we, I, I've been talking a lot of, I've been talking mad shit about uh, Jim Jones, but even during this time, uh, he was expanding social programs the entire time. During the 1970s, the People's Temple owned and ran at least nine residential care homes for the elderly, six homes for foster children, and they had a state-licensed 40-acre ranch for developmentally disabled persons. Jesus! Wow. I'm just that, waiting for this to all crash. It's a slow buildup, but... Because, <laughs> like, for the most part, this has been, like, not a whole lot of bad, but uh, definitely a lot of good. Yeah. It just drops over the course of, like, two years. Uh, things just go terribly, terribly wrong. So we've already... I mean, we've already covered, like, 20 years of Jim Jones's life, and then it's, like, like that. 
Um, uh, in 1976, the temple formally moves to San Francisco, and Jones becomes very, very open and transparent about his actual views. Uh, at this point, he's admitting even to outsiders and reporters that he is an atheist. And uh, the move to San Francisco is where Jones also starts talking about living communally and kind of bringing up the idea of physical discipline for both children and adults. Like working out? No, like beating them. Oh. If they misbehave. Oh. Um, yeah. Yikes. So It's a little darker. See where we're headed. Anyway, so we are in the late 70s uh, by this point, but let's backtrack a few years. Um, 1973, and this is where it's really clear that Jones knew what his end goal was, because in 1973, they, Jones and other members, high high ranking members of the church, had kind of scouted out places to set up a commune, and they did this under the guise of uh, looking for places for agricultural missions. They looked a few places, like Canada and. Um, a couple other places in the Caribbean, but they eventually settle on Guyana. Guyana. What should I say? Which one do you think? I think Guyana. Gi, Guyana. Guyana. Uh, they settled with that because at the time it was a largely English-speaking uh, communist country with a large indigenous population that Jones thought would be sympathetic to their cause, especially with uh, all, the, uh, all the, the large amount of black people they have in their congregation. And Jones had negotiated for a 3,000-acre area. And they'd been talks uh, to do that for a few years, but that didn't get approved until 1976, which is right about where we are in the actual timeline. And once that approval came, Jones sent an envoy of about 500 people to begin setting up the area. And How does one just scour the hemisphere for lots of cheap land uh, in the probably 70s. easier back then, you know? Maybe maybe you're thinking more difficult because there's no like internet. Yeah, yeah, but I guess um, damn, I don't know. Maybe maybe it is easier than you think. We've just never had a reason to try. It's true, and plus he seems a little more worldly too. Like he yeah, just for sure. Went to Cuba. Well, he was. I mean, like Brazil, to go yeah. get more followers true. and stuff. So he's very comfortable. It, it he's is, very comfortable uh, I guess going like, wherever. Just just since the nature of this is pretty grim, I didn't really bother to include, but like. Before this, before this got bad, um, people loved Jim Jones and his church. Like for all they did, like people like uh, mm-hmm. prominent politicians, like Harvey Milk, and people like that were just like lauding him. Yeah, he had a lot of connections to like um, the uh, like influential parts of the American left wing yeah. political sphere at the time. Like he was big. Wow. Just for all the good he did, you know. Because like right, like right away in the '60s, he was on the Human Rights Commission for the city of Indianapolis. Just for opening a soup kitchen. Yeah, and if you know if you yeah. know politicians <laughs> at any point in the twentieth century, you probably also know executives for giant like fruit and natural resource companies who have a shit ton of land in Central and South America. Yeah. yeah. Um since I don't know, Dan, maybe could you give me the exact definition of um Banana Republic? Or Greg, maybe. I'm sure one of you. I don't actually. I I, I couldn't. I mine would be kind of loose. I mean, 
Isn't it a mid to high end men's clothing store? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. The the and idea they, they is that the, oh, damn. The idea is that absolutely like, schooled. The, the giant corporation that has a stake in like the national re- natural resources in a town or an area or a country, then just basically, basically props up the puts government, right? pe- yeah props up a government yeah yeah, yeah. that is, that is a pretty accurate description. or they get and, the and United States CIA to oust a government yeah. so that they can <laughs> prop up a government <laughs> which did happen it happened a lot it happened a lot. That's a great example. A lot. I was talking to my roommate earlier tonight about how terrible the CIA is, but let's not get into that. <laughs> that's I could talk forever can, about that. Can I that. take a brief and kind of hilarious aside that uh, that does have to do with uh, Jim Jones? Yes, of course. Um, so I was I was reading about um, like his, uh, his connections in San Francisco and whatnot. And so he, uh, he he forged alliances with a lot of key columnists for the San Francisco Chronicle and other press outlets in the area, which is, I mean, that good way to get him uh you know into the inner circle of a lot of uh local prominent people but um interestingly in uh when he talked to a he spoke with publisher carlton goodlett interesting name of the san francisco (laughs) sun reporter um, about his remorse over not being able to travel to socialist countries like the people's republic people's republic of china and the soviet union Here's here's the funny part. He in in this uh, in this interview or or discussion, he speculated that he could be the chief dairyman of the USSR. <laughs> what, a, what an odd claim! Like yeah. he hasn't had any wow any dairy connections at all. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's such a bizarre thing to claim. <laughs> like maybe he did how a lot dare of you? How dare you? Straightest man in the world and king of the cows. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out he uh, he had the original <laughs> oh idea for gosh. Farmville. <laughs> he was even he was even in Silicon Valley before it became a thing. The uh, one <laughs> way, thing I, way ahead of his time. One thing I did see is uh, like obviously it's not a surprise uh, just based on the guy's clearly a fan of communism, but he was very very outspoken about how much he disagreed with the Korean War, especially because he thought he's like, why are these people disagreeing with Kim Il Sung? He thought Kim Il Sung was a genius and had undone all of the the perils of. Um, I guess capitalism in East Asia, but wait. Uh, I mean, that it, whole thing really worked out in Korea. So I'm I'm a little confused. Did you say even though he was like I'm I'm a little, uh, I'm sorry. Where is your hang up? Were you saying it was a it was an odd thing that he supported? Kim no, Il-Sung? I'm oh. saying it's not like it shouldn't come as a surprise. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely not. Yeah, the Korean War was. I was watching some videos on the Korean War the other day. There was some crazy stuff like. Yeah, we, uh, we were, we had our finger right over the button on the, on that nuke option pretty much the entire time. We were hot to use it again, dude. Well, uh, it worked spectacularly <laughs> the first time. Well, uh, uh, what's his name? Why am I blanking on this? Um, the uh, the general that uh, was pretty, yeah, MacArthur was the one who was really gung ho about um, using the nuclear option up there, and uh, many many other. Military leaders and political leaders had to kind of. Here's my question. In a little bit. Is there is there a chance that just the whole North Korean, uh, I, I dare to call it an experiment. Do you think it maybe wasn't as bad for people, uh, under Kim Il Sung's rule? Was well, it was it okay at the start? Well, the basically the the way that I understand the situation is that when the war started, like, first of all, life was actually better in the North at the beginning, like. So, 
basically when when the Japanese were under control of Korea, so prior to World War II, um, they heavily industrialized the North, and the South was mostly like farms and things like that. Um, so like standards of life were actually a little bit better in uh, the North of Korea. Once, uh, I mean, once the, after the war happened and everything like that, obviously the two you know powers propping them up, like the USSR wasn't able to you know, pump money into the, into the economy and partner as well as South Korea was able to, to the United States. And that's really what led to the, like the, the success of the United States and the close ties between South Korea and the United States. That's really why they blossomed the way they did. Like, right. Yeah. But, um, even though I say that life was better in North Korea, basically at, at the time, Korea was not a particularly industrialized nation and standards of living in both North and South Korea were absolutely piss poor. Okay. And uh, just sl- slightly on the edge, uh, uh, or I would slightly give the edge to, to North Korea in that situation. Okay. But clearly they came out uh, yeah. quite and, behind. And hey, look, I know I asked the question, and I love sidebars, but it just occurred to me that we got all the way to the actual Jonestown part and then basically stopped talking about it. <laughs> well, let's get so, back. So, yeah, let's get right back into it. So we got the, he's got the plot of land. Uh, he had negotiated a 3,000-acre area. 500 people are there setting it up. Um, so 1977, things in San Francisco are getting a little hot. Uh, a lot of like newspapers in the area and politicians are starting to catch on to the kind of nefarious stuff he's up to and just kind of the weird uh, teachings he's imposing upon the members of the church. And so there starts to be a lot of, not police investigations, but like media investigations, like newspapers trying to figure out what's going on. Because he hasn't done anything outright illegal yet, but definitely some immoral stuff. So the pressure's mounting. So uh, 1977, uh, just drop of a hat, Jones and several hundred people uh, flee the country and go to the new settlement. Interestingly, um, sorry to cut in here, but... We were talking about his children before. There's a like part of the part of this whole messy thing was that like a uh, that illegitimate son that he had. He had with a uh, that Timothy Stone man. Uh, his wife actually defected from the church in 1976, and uh, one of the first I I would well not one of the first more uh, illegal things that he did was he basically just he he told this Tim man to take his son to Guyana to avoid a custody battle with his wife. So basically he just, he's like, take this son, get, get out of here before the, like the take gets taken. <laughs> That's a good dad. <laughs> I don't know about that one. Uh, so, wow. Apparently the, the crew that had gone to set up, uh, as you can imagine, they were kind of living it up because they were just in like a Central American paradise uh, with n- nobody there to police them or anything. And so they were watching movies all the time and just having having fun. But once Jones arrives, party time's over. And this <laughs> is where Jones starts to really lose his fucking mind. Uh, movies were replaced with Soviet propaganda films. Nighttime lessons and teachings were replaced with Jones ranting about his enemies and the social problems in the United States. And he put everybody to work. This is there about... So in 1977, like a, hundred, a few hundred people come, but by 1978 the population peaks at about 900 people on uh, in, the, in the settlement. And so he's putting all these people to work, just building it and trying to set up farms. The, these people are working 12-hour days, six days a week. 
with a one-hour lunch every day, but they were working from 6 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. And uh, <clears throat> Jones had recorded a bunch of readings of the news that he would commentate on, and those were just broadcast like constantly over the loudspeakers, uh, such that all members could hear them throughout the day and night. And Jones's news readings usually portrayed the U.S. as a capitalist and imperialist villain, while casting socialist leaders such as Kim Il-sung, Robert Mugabe, and Joseph Stalin in a positive light. The only means of communication they had with the mainland at this point was a single shortwave radio. And, of course, they had to use that to conduct business since it was their only method of communication with the mainland. And since they were using amateur radio for commercial business, the FCC started cracking down on them, as the FCC <laughs> is wont to do. But Jones took this as a slight by the American government against him. And that's when he starts to really get very paranoid that the government is trying to take him down. <laughs> Jimmy in the FCC is like, oh man, caught another one. And little does he know, he's like going after this insane yeah. cult commune leader. He's like, oh, this guy's misusing his radio license. Better send him a fine. And Jim Jones is like fucking strong arm of the U.S. government trying to crush me down. Speaking of letters, uh, there's a reason I brought up that Tim Tim Stone guy, because he's actually a pretty important character in this whole story. Is that S-T-O-E-N? Yeah. Okay, I did see that name. Yeah, there's a a very important reason. So um, he, uh, Tim Stone, defected himself uh, after he... So, so he was there. Yeah, he he went to Guyana and then defected himself and left and started a uh, concerned relatives group uh, for people who had family members in Jonestown. Um, so he he basically started to become one of the people that's, that was speaking out against Jones. Um, and uh, that becomes important because, uh, again, I'll, I'm getting a little ahead of ourselves here. Uh, but uh, Tim Stone's efforts end up uh, arousing the curiosity of a certain California congressman by the name of Leo Ryan, who we'll hear more about later. Yeah, he's a big, big part Yes, in this. So unfortunately for Mr. Jones and his followers, the soil was actually very, very poor, and they couldn't actually grow any food. So they had to import most of it uh, in the form of grains, really. Their diet was primarily rice, beans, and whatever greens they could find in the area with occasionally meat or eggs whenever they could get their hands on it and that's i should say that's not like even jim jones was not eating meat or eggs very often not even he had that luxury and uh things uh are deteriorating a little bit there while there are technically no prisons or official systems of discipline when people started misbehaving or acting like they wanted to leave uh they would be placed in a six by four by three foot plywood box until they were, uh, until they had changed their mind. And, oh uh, my when, gosh! When, when kids, they get it gets <laughs> worse because cage. when children would act up, uh, they were put uh, in a well. Uh, they, were just, <laughs> they, they were just put in a well, sometimes oh upside down. God. That I'm just getting some Tibby real is uh, definitely in the well. Django Unchained vibes from this whole thing. <laughs> that <laughs> hot box, yeah. Oh, uh, awesome. And since. Jones is so paranoid, he starts uh, staging these events uh, called White Nights where he would pay people to 
like he would pay people that actually lived in Guyana to like stage attacks on the on the settlement to try to act like they were being actively persecuted. And uh, like in one such case, he paid people to basically keep showing up for like six days straight. It was the six day siege, they called it. And he just wanted people to be scared and think that uh, everybody was out to get them. So around this point, Joan's health kind of taking a turn for the worse. I'm guessing in no small part, uh, the diet is part of that. But there's probably a lot of other things. Uh, in 1978, Jones was informed of a possible lung infection, uh, which he told all his followers was lung cancer, a uh, ploy to kind of garner sympathy. According to some of the people in the high levels of the church, he was at this time abusing injectable Valium as well as quaaludes, stimulants, and barbiturates. Wow. Which is, um, I'm not going to act like I'm an expert on the matter, but that's a pretty complete drug cocktail. Would you agree, Greg? I would that's agree. That's pretty much the full gamut of drugs that you can take. <laughs> it's up there. Yeah. You got uppers, you got downers, you got middlers, you got yeah. lefters yeah, and writers. Yeah. <laughs> Audio tapes of 1978 meetings uh, within Jonestown attest to Jones' declining physical condition, with commie leader complaining of high blood pressure, small strokes, and weight loss of 21 to 30 pounds in the last two weeks of Jonestown. And it's funny that they include, although he was still noticeably overweight on the final day, <laughs> which is just kind of like, kick a man while he's down, right? <laughs> um, so... This is around the time Congressman Leo Ryan enters the game. Can, can we take a quick step back here? Yes. Uh, are, are, were you were you done talking about the White Knight rehearsals? Because there's some there's some important information here. I, I feel like I was I was at the end of the research. I felt bad about pushing it back. I kind of just dashed through the White Knight stuff. Okay. Well, there's some please juicy bits away. in here okay, that I would great. I would love to add on here. I would so, love for you to tell us. So, uh, first of all. Um, some of these white night rehearsals, uh, Jones would sometimes give Jonestown members four options. Uh, attempt to flee the Soviet Union, commit a, <laughs> commit revolutionary suicide, stay in Jonestown and fight the purported attackers, or flee into the jungle. Okay. So those are, those are not good options. None of those uh, sound awesome. I will get back to the revolutionary suicide in a minute here. Uh, so during this time, he was, he was, he was known to regularly study, uh, both Father Divine and Adolf Hitler, uh, in order to learn how to better manipulate members of his cult. Um, Divine told Jones personally to find an enemy and make sure they know who the enemy is, as it will unify those in the group and make them subservient to him. Uh, so, back to that revolutionary suicide thing. On at least two occasions during White Nights, a after a revolutionary suicide vote was reached, a simulated mass suicide was rehearsed. Uh, so uh, a temple, a later defector named Deborah Layton uh, said the following about, uh, about the events in an affidavit. Everyone, including the children, was told to line up. As we passed through the line, we were given a small glass of red liquid to drink. We were told the liquid contained poison and that we would die within 45 minutes. We all did as we were told. When the time came when we should have dropped dead, Reverend Jones explained that the poison was not real and we had just been through a loyalty test. He warned us that the time was not far off when it could become necessary for us to die by our own, our own hands. 45 minutes? Right. Yeah. So, and uh, as we all, you know, it's pretty out in the open what ends up happening here. Uh, and some 
unfortunate news here, the temple had received monthly half-pound shipments of cyanide since 1976. After oh, Jones, stocking up, yeah. After this is an odd one. After Jones obtained a jeweler's license to buy the chemical, purportedly <laughs> to clean gold. Nice. Whoa. That's a cyanide cleans gold. Yes, I actually did. Know yes. That one. Thanks for the recipe, uh, so Greg. It, wait, Greg. You use it in mining no. a lot. Cyanide. What? Kind of like, yeah, cyanide. They use it in like mining, like gold mining, a lot, to uh, kind of. Like sift through the gold, like try to find the gold flakes and whatnot. Okay, I've got I've got a question specifically for Greg. Then, okay, uh, Greg, are there a lot of gold mines in Nevada, or is it mostly silver? Uh, it's both. Okay, there are gold my, mines. My my mother actually worked for a gold mining company for a time. That maybe makes a little more sense because a friend of my brother's moved to Nevada and he worked worked or works still in a cyanide plant, and I always wondered why. But it would make more sense if there are mining applications, especially in Nevada. Absolutely, that would, that would that make a lot of sense. That seems very stressful. There are also an enormous number of abandoned mines. You do not want to have a workplace incident in a cyanide <laughs> yeah. plant. Absolutely not. OSHA better be there, like, ready to lock shit down if things get out of hand. Yeah, no, it's, uh, like, mineral extraction is still a huge part of the, uh, the economy in Nevada. So, uh, Leo Ryan, 11th District, rep for California. Uh, Ryan was friends with the father of a gentleman named Bob Houston, who was a temple member in California, whose mutilated body was found near train tracks on October the 5th, 1976, three days after a taped telephone conversation with his ex-wife in which he was talked about leaving the temple. So he talked about leaving. Three days later, his body is found mutilated by some train tracks. So this guy's father... Uh, reaches out to his friend, a congressman, and is like, please, uh, maybe see what's going on. So on November the 14th, 1978, Ryan and a delegation of some of his staffers, as well as an NBC uh, camera crew, go with him to Jonestown. And when they arrive, they are told they can't all enter at once, and they have to come kind of in waves. Uh, congressman Ryan is one of the first three people let in, but uh, they're, they're kind of brought in in waves, takes till nighttime for them to all get in. And when that happens, they attend a musical reception. Uh, during, this, during this musical reception, at night, two people, Vernon Gosney and Monica Bagby, uh, people who want, two people who want to defect, they mistake the NBC reporter, Dan, Don Harris, who is with them. They mistake him for Congressman Ryan, and they pass, they pass him a note. Uh, that says their names and says, please help us leave Jonestown. So Harris brings this note to Ryan, and they both kind of agree something might not be right here. So on the morning of November 18th, uh, even more defectors come to Ryan, and some people uh, some people go with, go with Ryan, say they want to go back to America, and some people are, a few people are so aware of the fact that tensions are mounting that they just leave and go to a city, like, uh, you know, the closest city, just to kind of lay low. Ryan plans to take these defectors with him when he leaves in a dump truck. (laughs) And shortly before the truck departs, uh, a member of the church named Don Sly grabs Congressman Ryan. He's got a knife, and he attempts to stab him, but he's disarmed. So the group uh, hightails it out of there. And... 
the dump truck makes it to Port Kaituma, the airstrip nearby. Is that right, Greg? No, it is. Uh, this is that what I was I was telling you about before. It's a very odd place. So like, there was no na- like, it's a by port they mean uh like it's it's a river port. Okay. Uh, the the whole the whole area. The only reason it was really populated even prior to this was that there's a. Uh, I believe it's manganese mine not too far off uh, from from where Jonestown is located. So this Kaituma port place is a place where the ore would get loaded from trains onto uh, onto con- what were converted oil ships that were converted into um, freighters for this ore. But okay. uh, the odd thing is, like the the river wasn't nav- navigable up to there, so they dug like a sixty mile channel to. In, in the river to get to get to there, so it's it's kind of a insane that they went through all that effort just to be able to get ships up there. But anyway, that's aside. So Sorry. since uh, Ryan's group had been there, uh, actually, I think a couple days, the plane that they came in on had, of course, left. So the State Department is sending two planes to pick everyone up. The plane that initially brought them, but then since there's defectors now, they also need to send an additional Cessna. Uh, to carry some of them. And so they had to wait an additional 50 minutes for the second plane to arrive. It's 50 minutes. They're sitting at this runway waiting to leave. And they all successfully board. And when the second plane, the Cessna, with the, the Cessna is entirely, uh, it's, uh, it's all defectors. And once it is all boarded and it is taxiing onto the runway... One of the quote-unquote defectors pulls out a handgun and uh, kills three people on board before being disarmed. And at pretty much the same time, a tractor trailer full of the Jonestown security members called the Red Guard, uh, they pull up on Congressman Ryan's plane, and they've got uh, handguns, shotguns, etc., and they just open fire. Uh, Congressman Ryan himself was shot at least 20 times. Oh. Wow. So... Not not everybody on the plane died, but the Red Guard ended up leaving. Uh, they just, yeah, mission accomplished, I suppose. Uh, they killed Congressman Ryan. And so they go back to the uh, Jonestown Pavilion. And before I say what's going on at the pavilion, this is what I was talking about, Dan, when I said that there's a monumental fuck-up <laughs> that uh, happened so... Let me see if I can get... Yeah, so Jones felt that this visit by Ryan was the end. And he felt that Ryan must be killed as well as everyone else. And he was so confident that this was the end for him. But the fact of the matter is, right before they left, Ryan told his like his secondhand man, I think it was like his chief of staff, that well, he was actually going to give a pretty positive report on Jonestown because... Only 14 people of the 900 had defected, and every single I've, Greg, you might you might fact check me on this, but I'm pretty sure every single member who was related to one of the concerned family members, none of those people wanted to leave. So he was like, okay, well, you know, 14 out of 900 isn't bad. Like <laughs> this place might actually be all right. So nothing was actually going to happen to them. They would have been fine. Unfortunately, he killed a congressman. Uh, so fully committing that was definitely the end. So he makes a radio announcement 
and tells everyone to gather in the pavilion, the, their main pavilion. And he has the Red Guard, who had previously shot up uh, the planes. And uh, they are quoted as actually having, they were pretty um, devastated, I guess, by, you know, killing innocent people as you would. They had the famous thousand-yard stare. But he had them surround the pavilion with all of their weaponry to make sure nobody left. Oh, brother. And so while, um, actually, while the shootings at the runway were taking place, Jones had some of his aides uh, gather a large tub, a large steel tub, and um, he filled it with grape. They, you know, the, the phrase is drinking the Kool-Aid, but it was actually the brand, the brand Flavor Aid. Uh, <laughs> a large tub of grape Flavor Aid was prepared and spiked with Valium, cyanide, and chloral hydrate. You know, a few people were just willing to drink it, but uh, once those people had started, you know, taking it, many more people became reluctant to take it. Uh-huh. I know, I know the name of the first person. Okay, Greg Anderson. <laughs> it was. Uh oh. I know it was. A, it was a woman and her. It was oh. her. It was a woman and her toddler. And uh. she used a needleless syringe to spray the cyanide mixture into who Odell. her child's mouth. Odell Rhodes. Oh. Odell Rhodes. Uh, oh Greg no no Anderson. sorry no this this was according to an escape member named Odell Rhodes. The first take the poison were Ruletta Paul and her one year old infant. Okay, Ruletta Paul and her one year old infant. Good God! A syringe without a needle was used to squirt poison into the infant's mouth. After which. Paul squirted another syringe into her own mouth. So uh, this is where I kind of got uh, I, I got a little little cold feet on how much I actually wanted to say because there are recordings of uh, the final moments. Oh, audio recordings, and I suppose uh, you can hear kind of screams of agony because it's not it's not a painless death by any means. Uh, self self cyanide takes about five minutes to kill a child. It's about twenty to thirty minutes for adults. And uh, in response to reactions of seeing the poison take effect on others and people getting kind of scared to do it, Jones counseled, "Die with a degree of dignity. Lay down your life with dignity. Don't lay down with tears and agony." Um, These quotes are harrowing. Yeah. He also said, I tell you, I don't care how many screams you hear. I don't care how many anguished cries. Death is a million times preferable to ten more days of this life. If you knew what was ahead of you, if you knew what was ahead of you, you'd be glad to be stepping over tonight. And so these people uh, faced with the dilemma, you either kill yourself with this poison or die by gunshot. Most of them ended up uh, drinking the flavor aid. And in total... 909 people died in Jonestown from from drinking this poison. So, uh, geez, what do we think? Well, I have one question. So I assume the guys, like the security force team or whatever, they all drink the poison after? Yes. Everybody, everybody drank it, yeah. Nobody survived. That's crazy. When you, I saw when, pictures. I looked up a couple pictures. Yeah, isn't there pictures like, of like 
literally the bodies. Air, aerial photos of like this giant white building, storage building, whatever it is. It must be their main building, and there's bodies everywhere throughout the the land around it. Yeah. Sorry, Greg. Oh, uh, so there there are some answers to what you were asking specifically about the uh, like the guards. Yeah. Like it was explicitly said that as more temp- temple members died, eventually the guards themselves were called to die by poison. But mm-hmm. like the, these armed guards were like surrounding the entire group of people. Yeah. Which like basically you know, gave them the option like either it, get shot or take this poison. How far into the whole thing did uh, Jim Jones himself take it? Was he like one of the last? Um, you would think. So he actually, w- this is, this is a, I don't know if you know, well. Did he not do that? He I don't know if he drank the poison, but that is not what killed him. What killed him? A single gunshot wound to the right temple that oh. the, the Guineas chief medical examiner, Leslie Mutu, stated was consistent with being self-inflicted. Oh. So. What a puss. Uh, he was found dead <laughs> lying next to his chair in the pavilion between two other bodies, his head cushioned by a pillow. Cushioned? Oh. Wow. Oh. I'm just reading the sentence. I, not my words. I mean... Here's what oh, I you think. Know what? Pillows do tend to cushion. Here is a here is a very interesting fact um, that Greg and I both discovered in reading this. Uh, prior to 9-11, this was the single greatest loss of American life. Oh, wow. Civilian life, obviously. Civilian but. life, yes, of course. Of course. Okay. You know, I was going to say, like, so I, Pearl Harbor was definitely a lot more. Yeah, the air even Pearl Harbor was also before this. Oh, but, it, but more people. I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Because like I know, I think yeah. I think probably more than nine hundred people died on just the Arizona alone. In, in oh, uh, easily. Yeah, that was a oh man, that was. I don't a know tragedy. what the exact numbers are, but a lot of people. Interesting though. Yeah, some may say a tragedy great enough to catapult us into a world war. Some people say that, but some people disagree. We just here's want what, to get into here's the my two cents, FOMO. man. America here's FOMO. my. FOMO. FDR had FOMO. Yeah. <laughs> he had polio and FOMO. Yeah. FOMO. Two, very, two most Roosevelt. deadly diseases at the time. Deadly <laughs> Until Ligma came around. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Listen up. Here's my two cents. Oh. If you're going to go to this much trouble to start like a cult, right? And you, you, you're, you're like initially successful, Right, you have like a thousand people, and you're getting you're reeling in like six million bucks a year. Like, why are you gonna then be like, okay, I'm now in a position to make people do things that they don't want to do, or like I'm now in position to like recline on my throne in my right. commune till I die like a luxurious death? Obviously, this guy then turned into like a psychotic group yeah. suicide death I think, thing but like I, just keep doing what you're doing man keep doing the breakfasts keep doing yeah. the turkey dinners keep doing the rental assistance until you got two billion people right being christians in the world you know like they did yeah. it right i mean in a perfect world but like it i think he truly was like deeply paranoid you yeah. know like he was getting increasingly mm-hmm. more paranoid thinking the government and really everyone was out to get him so it's yeah, like, that'll, yeah. I mean, I know. think that's consistent with the rest of his life, really. He just he wasn't uh, wasn't all there. I mean, psychosis or something. You know, one of the uh, I feel like one of the things that 
like the qualifying conditions to become like a cult leader like this is clearly not like rational thinking you know yeah. like and no empathy <laughs> like yeah i mean like all those all those free breakfasts and social programs and things like that i mean he clearly did care about you know like his his beliefs but i mean the driving core force here is obviously his uh you know desire to become an influential leader you know and, i mean yeah, and it probably well, it probably evolved into thing. that at a certain point. I mean, I I imagine like for at least some of it, he was mostly good intentioned, you know. Yeah, and or well intentioned. Sorry, not to mention the fact that being in the middle of the jungle in Guyana, surrounded by just your own people, like Shitty that's food. that's yeah, not exactly an environment that's that's ripe for uh, positive mental change for him. I, I imagine well, I that just, just further I'm drove him into insanity. What's that, Paul? I'm more surpri- I'm more surprised that like when they did that trial run, the little practice session of killing it, each other with the poison, that just turned out to be probably regular flavor aid. Yeah. <laughs> um, that no one got like, hey. Well, why were they? Know, why were they all we so cool the leave. first time? Well, they probably realized it was very real the second time. You know. Well, no, that's what, like oh, they no they did that guns? they did that mul- those tests multiple times. So that's what that's why I'm I'm almost more like more surprised that people weren't more eager to do it when the time came. Although then again he did say that the time that we have would have to actually do this for real might become might come soon. Like he was saying yeah. that specifically. Well and, and I bet, you know, they just got visited by a congressman. They were probably like, Okay, this is this is the real one. Yeah. You know, we just people are defecting. Um <laughs> Side note to that congressman thing, something crazy that happened uh, with that. So, like, uh, that Leah Ryan guy's, uh, like, uh, aide, his, like, confidant, uh, was a, a man by the name of William Holsinger. And uh, before the news became public about the killings uh, that afternoon, the wife of his aide, the, uh, this uh, Leah Ryan's aide, so that William Holsinger guy's wife received three fr- uh, three threatening phone calls. And the caller allegedly said, tell your husband that his meal ticket just had his brains blown out and he better be careful. Oh, my God. Which is terrifying. So they, they fled to Lake Tahoe and then later to, to Texas and never Jesus. came back to San Francisco. Yeah, understandable. I would certainly be very afraid if somebody from Jonestown threatened me with it. So I'd like to I'd like to change my advice for any future cult leaders out there. Okay, here's my advice. Not I'm only done. should you stick yeah. with the basics, right? Breakfasts, rental assistance, turkey dinners, but Keep you need to surround people. yourself with a group of advisors, preferably twelve people that you trust. Oh, this is Jesus. You're doing Jesus. Who who then yeah. after your <laughs> have death, dinners? Can at least Maybe. write the story well enough Suppers that it will rather. continue to bring in followers. Yes, it is also yeah. crucially important that you are able to resurrect. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is a big part of it. I was going to leave that one out, man. You can't discourage the young so, kids. So all you got to do is hit the little tilde key, click on whatever character you're trying to resurrect, type in resurrect, <laughs> and hit enter. Yeah. They're, call, they're called console, console commands. Command, yeah. They've been around since... Uh, Morwin. T GM <laughs> space one. <laughs> um, Player dot set scale five hundred. <laughs> yeah. So obviously none of us are psychologists. But um, speak yourself speak for yourself there, buddy. Um 
I'm a gynecologist. I study fellas. Um, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> is it just the slow, like kind of the like the frog in the frying pan analogy? How do you get? How do you get so many people? Like Heaven's Gate was another cult where they killed themselves, but that was like 14 people. Well, I'm pretty sure what brought those people in was those dope ass Nikes. <laughs> the sick fit they all died in. I un- I I so want a pair of those Nikes. Like, um, like I want I, one of the OG pairs. I want worn by a cadaver. That is Heaven's Gate Nikes. Uh, oh my god. No, seriously. I think How do you? Those go for so much money. The original providing for people. Like I think of the Branch Davidians. You know, it you slowly just bring people in one by one or like families and you kind of provide it, you know, similar ideologies, but it's really just that influential, like charismatic leader that just says the right things to get people to do whatever. Yeah. Also, I guess going back to what Greg said, when you're thousands of miles from home and it's you're only surrounded by people who are also in this cult. You're probably going to get a little bit of Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, I mean, like I recently you don't watched, have a whole lot of options. Yeah, I recently watched the the series Waco on uh, on Netflix. So, like, I like one of the things they stressed in in I mean, granted, it's a dramatization, but uh, like the Branch Davidian compound was, I mean, Waco now is like a you know suburb Fine of place. Boston and it's a college like, town, isn't it? I believe so. Um, but even like. It's a, Baylor. Even the even Baylor. the area where that compound was is still pretty rural today, and you know back then was even more so. And uh, like the show made a point out of like a big part of his his drive was like, why are you out here in this middle of nowhere? Because you you have this like this calling to Jesus. Like they they emphasize the fact that you are isolated in this place and only surrounded by these people. Right. And, uh, that that clearly is is definitely a big aspect of this. But uh, yeah, I I agree that the uh like a big part of how you would accomplish something like this is the is the just raw charisma. Like I mean, think of like like Hitler. Like like how did, how did he captivate people in his speeches? Like he was he was an extremely talented orator. Yeah, I guess 900 is nothing when you think about how many people got on board with the Nazi ideology. Like somebody like Hitler had like was extraordinarily lucky with the timing yeah. of an entire the country situation and yeah this guy yeah. Jones happened to run into like you know the motley crew of people who were like down on their luck or whatever looking for yeah, something it's, it's, to sign it, you know to. like he definitely like for for good and you know good intentions he reached out a lot to like you know, less fortunate people who were probably, like, stoked that somebody was, like, helping them out, you know? Again, taking a page out of the Hitler book with trying to pick up Germany from the, the ashes of World War One Because they were in absolute economic ruins yeah. when he when the Nazi party was coming to rise. Their, their whole thing was trying to rebuild Germany. Trying to promise people a better future. Wheelbarrows full of cash. Binders full Started of it in a beer hall that he helped rebuild. He said, "If I can rebuild this beer hall, then I will rebuild Germany." Is that what the beer hall thing is? Beer hall push? Yeah, but yeah, that's fake. That that's not really how it went. Okay, I don't know. I only know that name. I don't know what the like story is, but it's where the party got legs. Okay, fellas, I gotta I gotta personally wrap up. 
that's fine. Obviously, I mean, we're at, you we're can, at like an hour forty. So. Yeah, if you obviously you can like if you do no. like a wrap up or you know it'll be no. Seamless, there, there's no know. wrap up. Okay. We we talked about Jonestown and now we're done. It's over. The wrap up is the nine hundred dead folks. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh.